here. Early in the year, they'll be here again in a couple of weeks. Hey, after this morning service, there's a, we're having water baptism, so that is happening. Also, I, I think uh, YPs, uh, the wonderful Nick Frost will be taking YPs. So our, 11, uh, sorry, our 12 and 13-year-olds, you're welcome to go with him to that class, discipleship class. That'd be brilliant. Thanks, Nick. So, uh, so baptism, yep, straight after the service, uh, within five minutes, that'd be great. So that's happening. I wanted to continue this morning. Um, the, we started a little series last week called Better Homes and Families. Uh, and uh, I want to read to you... Uh, in regards to Paul's comments about the family, and he wrote to a group of Christians at Colossae, it was the letter to the Colossians, and uh, uh, chapter 3, I'll just read these four verses, then I'll give some context to it, and we'll move on from there. But uh, I just, I just uh, know that uh, one of the most incredibly important parts of the community is the family unit. And uh, you, you, you know as much as I, there would have to be an attack on that. Uh, the, the family unit, whether it's husbands or wives or parents of children. And we have more than ever in this, um, let alone this world, in our city, uh, the breakdown of the family and just the destruction it causes. Do you know, we were created for a relationship. God, you know, God just didn't think it was a nice idea that we should be in a family and that we should marry and we should have children. Um, no, he, he knew it was the it was a, a vital idea. It, it was imperative that we found ourselves in a relationship with other people. And, and, and that relationship first starts in our family unit. And who knows, the enemy wants to attack that and wants to destroy that and, and rip it down. Because the, the, our community is only as strong as its families. Isn't that true? And so I, I just thought it was important that we address that and talk t- today again as we did last week. And so let me read Colossians chapter 3. Uh, Starting in verse 18, it says, Wives, um, uh, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Uh, And then husbands, uh, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Uh, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And then fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Paul here addresses four groups of people. He addresses uh, wives, he addresses husbands. Uh, you'll notice he then addresses children, and then he addresses um, men again, and he doesn't call them husbands, of course, he calls them fathers. And he outlines in each of these verses um, a particular attribute that those particular members of the family should have. Um, and, he, and, and in saying that, uh, like he says, wives, uh, submit to your husbands, uh, husbands love your wives. He's not saying, or oh, wives, you've just have to submit, you don't have to actually uh, love your husband. No, not at all. Uh, he, you know, and husbands, he's not saying, you just got to love them, you don't have to submit to them. No, not at all. He's pointing out, literally, to each of the um, partners in the family unit, what is important, because um, when you think about the reality of uh, uh, wives, for instance, the word submit, maybe we could put it in another term, respect. And it literally means to respect your husband. Um, you know, one of the great things about men is they're wired to be respected. When we're affirmed, especially by those people who are important in our lives, like our wives, men, we grow, uh, you know, we, uh, we get bigger on the inside. We love that affirmation. If there's one thing that's missing amongst men, I think, in the, this nation across the world, is that affirmation and encouragement to men to stand up and be men. And, and when, so we see that 
uh, we're wired that way, and, and women are wired to be loved. It's not that they shouldn't um, also be respected, but they're wired to be loved. And, and so we see how Paul, what he's actually saying is, to do these things, what I'm going to point out today, actually makes for a really healthy family. It's not these things alone, but these things really start to make for a healthy family. Now, you may identify these as you, in your own family, and you may, I understand this morning, say, well, we did not have that in our family. And I respect that, and I appreciate that could be a moment where you'll go, ah, oh, that n- never really happened. And, and now you're living out of, of um, some situations that you wish you didn't have. But I want to tell you um, that God is the God uh, that wants to take any brokenness, and he wants to create, make it new. And we were just singing that. He wants to take us on into a better future. Whether today you are here separated, divorced, or whether you, your parents are not around and you've been, whatever situation it may be, you're being adopted or, or orphaned, or I, I don't know. Or whether you're a single dad or a single mum here today with little ones. Um, there's all types of, uh, you know... Um, uh, situations aren't there, but you know God sees each one, and He tries to, m- and He wants to minister encouragement and strength into all your circumstances today. So let's go, hey, because so we're talking about the key attributes in each family member that will make for healthy families. So let's dive off into the first one. It just talks about husbands. Oh, sorry, wives, uh, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. The, as I said, the word for submit is also uh, another translation can be respect. And uh, historically, this text has been uh, misappropriated, misunderstood, and misused to sometimes uh, to be um, uh, suppress women and to put them in their place because they've got to stay in their place. <coughs> and I want to tell you, anybody who's done that is not using, not not grasping what the scripture is actually saying, because that's not what it's saying at all. Paul's not saying that at all. In, in, in actual fact, um, Paul here he's talking uh, to the women and. Um, um, the reality is, is that in, in Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-one, um, because the same passage, is, he's, the same things he basically says to the church at Ephesus, he says to Colossians, what I read to you this morning. But in Ephesians chapter five, twenty-one, he actually says, just before he says, "Wives, submit to your husbands," he actually says, "Submit to everyone, every all people." Literally says this: submitting to one another in the fear of God. So submission is for all of us. Respecting each other for, is for all of us. It's just that Paul is talking to the women because he, he knows what, how men are wired and they love to be affirmed, encouraged and respected. So the other thing about what Paul's doing here is he's addressing women before he's addressing men. That's, that, that is countercultural. That, that was not the culture of the day. Uh, in, in the Jewish Empire or the Roman Empire, you, always men were spoken to first and women were second. No, Paul addresses women. You know why? Because he's trying to say, he's trying to elevate women to help them all understand that women are of equal value as men. And all the women said, Amen. And all the men said, Yeah, good. <laughs> that was your big chance right there to make sure that. <laughs> so. So Paul's address, he's elevating, because he's talking to the women first before he talks to the husbands. You see, sometimes just the order of Scripture is powerful because of what it says. But here's one thing that I haven't mentioned before, because um, the Scripture says this, wives, make sure it is your own husband. I want to emphasize the word own, your own husband. I don't know if you can pick up on this, but the truth is, 
marriage um, has an exclusive nature. It's just for two. You can't have three in the marriage. It's not a husband and a wife and a mistress. It's not a husband and wife in a, an affair with another guy. And, and look, I know I'm, I'm talk, preaching, you guys know that, but we live in a culture that is continually pushing that and saying there's nothing wrong with that. Do you know 60% of men in Australia, unfortunately, have had some kind of an affair, whether it's emotional or physical? I'm not saying they all lost the, out of marriage. They might have salvaged their marriage, but 60% of men. Do you know 45% of women in Australia have had an emotional or a physical affair? Um, that just really challenges me. And, you know, we've got to be aware of that. And so Paul is being exclusive. He's saying, you know what, women, it's your own husband. Do you know the culture of the day was there was mistresses and there was all types of things happening in that culture, just as there is in this culture. And we see continually that what we see in the world is they're saying, you know what, it was once just a man and a woman, exclusive. Now it can be a man and a woman and another woman, the husband can have someone because, you know, that's okay. That's okay. The, the man's got needs. And you mightn't say to that, yeah, that's being pushed, that it's okay. And vice, you know, so, so we've got to be aware of that. Um, Paul continually men mentions and emphasizes, do you know, I've, Paul spoke to Timothy once, and he wrote these letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. And twice he said to Timothy, he says this, the husband of one wife. And then he says once, he says the wife of one husband. Do you know, I always, always used to glaze over that and think, why do they need to say that? Why does Paul have to say that? I know it's, it's exclusive. Marriage is exclusive. It's just one man, one woman. Why does Paul have to say the husband? Because you know what? In the culture of the day, it was not uncommon, uncommon for men to have more than one wife. There was a thing called polygamy. And if you think about it, they were coming out of Old Testament times where there had been men who had more than one wife. And if you read back through the Old Testament, some of those uh, marriages that was with a man with two women or two wives, polygamy never went that well. Because it was never God's plan in the, in the first place. And you may say, but they got it in the Bible, it must be okay. No, no, no. Just because they have it in the Bible doesn't mean it's right. God is showing you something through that. Please get that statement, last statement right, because it's, the Bible is right, but it's just showing you the culture of the day in the Old Testament. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Leah, far out. That was a messed up family, wasn't it? Now, God brought good out of it because Hannah eventually had a little boy called Samuel who became an incredible prophet and, and voice for God uh, to the nation of Israel. But anyway... We see the difficulty and the, the struggles that polygamy creates. And, and Jesus um, and, and Paul is trying to address that by saying, only your husband, not another husband. It's not, it's not that women, you can't respect other men. No, it's just that you need to give priority to respecting the men in your life. And vice versa, men, when you love your wife, aren't you going to respect her? Of course. Um. This is the thing that uh, challenges me as I started to think about this. In Colossians, in chapter 3 there, just before Paul wrote these verses about hus um, wives respect your husbands, he wrote this in, in, in verse 2. He says, set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. And then he said in verse 5, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, and evil passions, and evil desires. So here, he listen to this. See this. Paul is saying... Don't even start to fantasize or think about other men or women when you're married. 
Because who knows that's the start of a downward journey? Who knows that sometimes, uh, as women can say, I wish my husband was like him. Or I wish my wife was a little bit more like her. Oh, gee, she's got some great qualities. I wish my and you mightn't verbalize it, but you can sometimes think it. I want to tell you, Paul says, come on, you, you gotta um, the truth is set your mind on things, not on those earthly things. Because you know our televisions pump out that attitude. Oh well, you know, start to think about this person and that person. You know, the truth is you'll always find someone, you can always justify someone who's better than the present spouse you have. If you look. And so that I think what Paul's saying, stop looking. Stop thinking. Stop going there. Even if you're saying, I'm never going to go there. Well, never go there in your mind. Don't entertain the thoughts. Don't entertain them. So then Paul says in verse 19, after he talks to wives about respecting and all they says, only, only one husband respect that. He then talks in 19, and he, and he gives us another quality, and this time he addresses husbands, another quality of a healthy family. He says, husbands, you've got to love your wives, and do not be bitter towards them. Here is interesting. The word bitter means to be sharp or harsh or overpowering. And if there's one way that I've, in past, uh, I suppose that I've come to identify that I was a bit harsh or a bit overpowering, it was in what I spoke to my wife sometimes. You know, I'd be tired or been grumpy, and and I understand none of you men get like that. Um, and I and I'd be a bit quick with Michelle, and and I think just wait a second. Paul's saying because the word bitter means to, to be that. Don't be harsh. Don't be harsh. Speak because there's life and death in your tongue, and you've got to be careful of it. You know, and I've I've come to understand because sometimes Michelle and I over the years have actually come to the point where we're quite not agreeing on what we're something. We've got a little disagreement, and disagreement's not wrong as long as you kind of process it in an, an in a unemotional and correct way. You know, you can talk about it, but if you start to let the emotions start to get a little bit verbal and start to be harsh in our words, you know, those type of things happen. You know, and once again, none of that probably happens in your marriage, but you know, I'm just being honest about mine. Is that okay? We, are, we, we can have a disagreement, and I've discovered this, we can have a disagreement with our spouse, and we have to be careful uh, that we, uh, of course, are not harsh, but understand this, when I find there's a disagreement with my family relationships, my, my instinctive response used to be, and it can be still sometimes, to assume that the fault is always on the part of the other person in the family. And never look at myself. Amazing, that isn't it? The reason, you know, the reason I've got this pain and the reason I've got this stress and the reason that there's tension in the family and the reason I'm frustrated and the, and the reason is because of them. Because, the, you know... They've got to work on their relationship and they're causing me pain and they need to sort themselves out. And no thought about, maybe I've got to sort something out here. I'm stressed because of their character issues and it's affecting our relationship because of what they're doing. And I have a tendency to think that we instinctively re respond that way, unfortunately, sometimes as humans. We first of all always go to the point uh, of thinking the other person has that problem, but we never quite get to the point sometimes, well, maybe eventually that maybe there's just something that we've got to address as well in the relationship with our families. 
We tend to assign responsibility of the health of our family relationships to the other family member and never to ourselves. I've got some news. Jesus actually said in Matthew 7, how can you remove the speck in someone else's eye if you've got a log in your eye? And, and, and there's a thing about the human condition which we love to find fault with other people without ever recognizing our own faults and shortcomings. And you know, the truth is, Jesus isn't saying that you can't give constructive and helpful feedback to our family members. My wife does it all the time when we drive the car. <laughs> driving along, yesterday, classic example, we're driving the car along. And uh, she said, um, hint, hint, uh, honey, it's 60 here. I said, I know, I know. She says, uh, you're speeding. What? Me? And by that time, my foot's come off the accelerator. No, I'm not. (laughs) Wasn't my fault. Well, I just need to get used to it. See, our response can always be to sometimes, uh, to always be um, never recognized, always thinking, you know, instinctively, they've got a problem, I haven't. But you know, Jesus is saying here, come on, approaching, you should approach relationships with an attitude, this is, this is paraphrased of what he's saying, approach relationships with an attitude of humility, recognizing that we bring some dysfunction to the relationship equation before we go running around finding other faults. There was a man who wanted to change the world, so for a year he tried to change the world. He campaigned, he'd done it, he couldn't do it. So he said, this one sec, I'm going to change my nation. Another year went past, didn't change the nation. Campaigned, spent money, didn't do it. He says, you know what, I'll just change my city. Another year went past, couldn't do it. Went to community meetings, tried to change things, couldn't do it. Then he thought, you know what, I'll just change my street. You know, had street parties, he tried to get into people's ears, he tried to affect it. come on, change, change. Never happened. He thought, just for a sec, I'll just change my family. So he, he started to Come on, family, back up. This is what you're going to do. This is how we're going to live. I've got some standards, some values. Never happened. He got to the point where he says, you know what? I think I'll just change myself. And it's amazing how he then changed his family. And then because his family changed another family and how the families all together actually changed the street and then the street changed other people in the, in the city and the city started to change. It's amazing. Then the city started to influence other cities and the nation started to change and then the nation started to influence other nations. It's amazing how the world can change. Now you say that's an ideal situation. It'll probably never happen. You're probably right. But I'm just saying, you know what? It starts with me. And so when I, now I got to the point Usually, more often than not, when Michelle says something to me, and it's a point of difference, I'll, I'll stop and I'll just think, okay, what part in that have I got to deal with? It's not easy sometimes because our instinctive nature is to go, I've got it all right. But it's often not the case. Paul says, don't be bitter or harsh or hard towards them in the way we speak. Think about it. Here's the thing. Here's the third healthy uh, attribute for a healthy family relationship. And it talks to children now, okay? We'll just move on to children. And it says, children, obey your parents. And, you know, if you didn't know, that's the fifth commandment out of the ten. And actually, the fifth commandment has a promise. And the promise is life will go well with you if you obey and honor your parents. And uh, we're all being children, Uh, here today, whether you're a little child or you're an older child, 
uh, if your parents maybe not be on the earth anymore, but we've all been children. And you know what? The Word says we've got to obey, honor our parents, honor them, obey them. And so it stands to reason that my future and how my future goes is determined by how I treat my parents or what I say about my parents or what I think about my parents. My future is determined, part of it is determined by that. And, and I just noticed that our future is not, the, the scripture doesn't say, it says uh, children obey and honor your parents. It doesn't say, it's not determined by how our parents treated us. Now, I'm not saying that you're not affected by what your parents done to you, but I'm just saying that we've got to make a new day. If our parents didn't treat us right, why don't you stop the rot and say, well, I'm going to treat, I'm going to have a better attitude and I'm going to honour and respect them anyway. Now, that takes some hard yakkers sometimes and you've got to forgive sometimes and you really got to kind of uh, work through that because some of you have been not treated very well by your parents at all. But, you know, when you come to Jesus Christ and receive him into your life, he actually looks at your faults and sin and says, if you confess it, I'll actually forgive it. And it's behind you, so stop dragging it up. Then he says, as you've been forgiven, forgive what? Others. And so, you know, the first thing sometimes in honoring mums and dads, or honoring parents, is actually forgiving them. Forgiving. You know, as a dad, I've mentioned this before, but there was times when I treated my I did, you know, I said or maybe treated my, my girls a bit harshly, my three girls. Or, and, and probably for each of them, I've actually come up and said, you know what? I just want to tell you I'm sorry. Dad just done the wrong thing and I apologize to you. And, and um, I'm going to try and be better. I just want to apologize. And it's amazing. Instead of being a point of weakness, it's a point of strength because they see a person, an adult, willing to forgive. And so they learn to do the same thing. Often they'd say to me, it's okay, Dad no problem and I go oh, okay that's good and I'd feel good about myself <laughs> but you know I think it's important that we we recognize that in honoring our parents what our parents did to us it's not that it's not ro ro wrong it is wrong but when we forgive it just keeps us free in our hearts free from bitterness and attitudes and so we need to honor let's look at the last one this morning um, Paul says, for healthy family relationships, um, verse 21, fathers, it's back to us guys, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Here, here's interesting, provoking children because we've got to be careful because I'm, I'm sometimes suspicious that in the times that I've maybe provoked, I've got really angry at my, my daughters, was the moments I was really quite angry about myself and I was tired and I was a, a little bit upset and, and, and maybe thinking about some of the things that happened to me as a child and I'm thinking, I'm going to tell my child because they're not going to get away with it and, and my parents done this to me which I didn't enjoy so I'm going to do that to them. And I know that the process doesn't kind of unfold that clearly but sometimes we get angry and provoke our children because we're just angry about some other things. Or we're tired or we're something like that. And so we've got to be careful that we don't provoke them or, or say or do the wrong things. And we can be, sometimes our anger is misdirected because it's come from not because of the, what they've done necessarily. Maybe they've done something small, but it's just tipped us off and we get all this emotion builds up because of what it reminds us of, and we give it to them. So we've got to be careful that we don't do the, carry on with the sins of our fathers, hey? The thing that I love about this is that 
fathers, it doesn't, it'd be nice if it said, children, stop provoking your parents. <laughs> because your children certainly provoke your parents. <laughs> because when they're chucking a little tantrum on the floor, this is what I believe you've got to, this, this is, you've got to that at that, that moment, you know, as much as you want to, you know, strangle them or yell at them or get upset with them, not really, but I'm just, you know. You've got to decide who's going to be the parent here. Who's going to be the adult? Am I going to just get angry and just do the wrong thing here with my child who's throwing a tantrum? Or am I just going to let them calm down? And, and, uh, and that's another message and how to deal with that. But you have got to ask that question. The interesting thing I love about this passage is it says... Um, lest your children become discouraged. Discouragement is to take courage out of your children. It's, it's to actually take hope and confidence out of your children. Encourage is to place courage and hope and confidence in your children. So I want to just say this. Jesus Christ loved me despite my faults. That's the grace and the gospel message of Jesus. Don't you think as a parent that I need to love my child. If I want to see them successful, why don't you love them before they are ever successful? Why don't you just speak to them encouraging words ever before they ever do anything? In actual fact, why don't you love them before they ever become incredible people? Why don't you just love them now? And they don't have to do anything. Just love them for who they are. Why don't you encourage them before they ever do anything? Because Jesus' heavenly father did. He was getting baptized by John the Baptist. And Jesus spoke and he said, you know what? This is my son and who am I am well pleased. Not many times did Jesus, did God speak audibly. So when he does, we need to listen. And he spoke that day, probably for all the people to hear him as Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. And Jesus comes up out of the water, all the people hear God speak. That'd be a moment, wouldn't it? You get God's audible voice. But I want to tell you, he spoke because he wanted his son to hear it as well. And you know what? Jesus had started no ministry. He hadn't healed anybody. He hadn't chosen the 12. He hadn't done anything amazing. And yet God loved him before he ever succeeded. And as parents, we need to instill courage in our children, not because of what they do, but just because of who they are. Because God does that with you. It says, he loved me even before I acknowledged him. We need to encourage them. We need to instill courage in them. You all know what I called my children as they grew up. I used to say to my children, and now I say it to my grandchildren. I say, do you know what you are? And they say, well, I'm a champion. I say, don't you forget it. They haven't done anything. I just call them champions. My little grandson, grandson four-year-old, I say, what are you? He says, a champion. He doesn't actually get it out as champion. I won't tell you what Lydia used to say. She, well, I will. Is that okay? <laughs> I say, what are you, honey? And she's a little four-year-old, and she says, I'm a trampoline. <laughs> I say, that's cool, darling. <laughs> but I want to tell you, speak into their life. Don't discourage them. Because they're little sponges that just want to hear from the two important people in their lives, and that's mum and dad. And, and don't think encouragement needs to flow just because they do something well. No, encourage them before they do something well. So they learn the grace and the mercy of a heavenly father. Can we have the singers and musicians back? 
Wow. Courage means believing in people before they succeed. I'm glad that we have a God, but your sin won't make him love you any less. But your sin won't, uh, sorry, and in in your good things about your life won't make him love you anymore. He just loves you. Isn't that incredible? We, we grapple with that because we've been taught maybe in our families as we grow up that we're, we're loved when we do the right thing. But you know, we've got to get to the point where we love because we just love. His kindness led me to repentance. That's God. That's what Scripture says. Why can't your kindness do something to, our, to your children king? So we're going to sing this song today. Can we stand together as we close? I want to encourage us. I just want to pray. I fully appreciate today we have our single ladies here today and their marriages are long finished. We've got single men and their marriages are long finished. There's no condemnation here about that. But you know, there could have been some hurt that just really came because of that or maybe you've walked through that and you're out the other side and it's all cool I just want to encourage you keep on going forward and you know where there is some pain being inflicted upon you emotionally because of those circumstances I just love to just pray right now for you today is that cool I want to pray for a couple other things real quickly but I just wanted to pray if you're the single man or single lady today and you know that just the hurt of the past um could we close our eyes just for a moment Maybe it starts with just acknowledging that. Is there anybody today? Just, just give me a little wave, quick wave, if there's someone. And you say, yeah, yeah, just pray for me in that area. It's been a bit of a pain. Thank you. I see the hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. And, and I truly believe the presence of God just wants to minister to your heart because it's not been fair. <laughs> Acknowledge that. So let me pray. Father, it's not just my prayer. I know it's your heartfelt decision too. But Lord, I pray today for the precious men and women who have felt the sting of another of a spouse that hasn't been kind and hasn't been nice. And now they're living out as a single mum or single dad and they're doing their best. And I ask you to strengthen them, encourage them, and help them to forgive that which has been done to them. I know it's only the power of your presence can sometimes shift that pain, and I ask you to do it right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Be their encouragement and strength, Lord. In this sacred moment, Holy Spirit, touch their hearts and lives. Maybe you're a child here and you've felt the sting of a parent and they've never told you they love you and they've never done much to encourage you, but you're here today and you just know that you've got to deal with that too and give it to God. Can can you just... Give us a wave if that's you today, just as a child, you might be an older, but yep, 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 okay. Father, I just pray today for every person, because we've all been children, and I ask, Lord, that you would just help us in the midst of our lives. It's been rough, Lord, but we ask for your help to forgive them which were our parents and what happened and back then and what they did and what they said. And I ask the Lord that you would bring your touch upon their lives, Holy Spirit, and heal that area that's so painful. 
I ask that in Jesus' name, to be able to forgive them, Lord, and to walk into a better future. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I thank you for husbands. I thank you for fathers. I thank you for wives. I thank you for mothers. I thank you for children today, brothers and sisters, grandparents today. I ask, Father, as families, that we would fight and for our families. and that we, I know there's some situations that are past and they're finished and they're dealt with. And we, but help us to move on into the future that you have for us. Give us wisdom. We're all at different circumstances, different situations. But in our circumstance, give us wisdom and guidance, Lord. We need you in Jesus' name. To live free, as we've been singing today. To live forgiving others and to live free. So, Father, we praise you and honor you in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, amen. Come on. Let's just sing this beautiful song and declare it one more time before we finish today. That would be great. Thank you.